Welcome back to the shed. We're exhausted. And it took a lot of effort to get all those elephants we brought in for the 75 celebration back in the rail cars. That was a lot. And here we are, 76. Seems all kind of hollow and empty, doesn't it, after that 75? The elephants were in the room for a while. (laughs) You didn't know it? Because why? We didn't Uh, talk. mention it. (laughs) And I think you can just look forward to a whole bunch more of that quality of entertainment this afternoon. So here we go. All good in the hood. Did we already talk about uh, Parasite? So last episode or maybe two ago, we touched on a movie that uh, a Korean director made. So RJ, RJ and I went and saw this thing at the International Cinema downtown. Inter- international Villages. Tinseltown. Called Parasite. And I can never remember the director's name. I've seen a few of his other things. I think we mentioned that on Netflix. Uh, you mentioned Okja. There's also The Host. Uh, so another sort of a surreal big monster living in the Han River in Seoul. And, and so we went and saw this thing and it was really fun. I thought it was very fun anyways. And then RJ sent this review from someplace. Where was it from? Don't know. Uh, it was a review anyway and it applied all this meaning what the director was trying to tell us and everything, right? And I said, oh, he's, he's eviscerating social structure and uh, class, classism and the difference between classes. And he's really, and I just, I went through that whole movie without really thinking that was the purpose of the movie at all. I didn't even, all I thought was the purpose of this movie is just to entertain me. It wasn't to teach me really anything. I wanted to ask you, RJ, whether you found that review a surprise in terms of how you received that movie. And then in general, do you guys find that you get the point or that you feel that these kinds of points are typically being overtly made? Well, I follow a bit of a process. Pretty well everything I watch could be a series, could be a movie. I'll go to a combination of Wikipedia to see how it was made and and reviews and I usually learn presumably what I was supposed to have taken away from the movie because I often miss the bigger points. But I would say in this particular case, it seemed to fit uh, that it was about class. Okja is about class as well. Like they're the really rich people are running the big pig company and it's the rustic father and his grandchild who are living out in the woods and so I, I think there's, it seems to be a theme in this guy's stuff about, uh, so yeah, it kind of fit, but I, I don't know for sure. I'm not uh, big on, uh, allegory and, and, uh, meaning in these things. I do enjoy it more if I know that there's some kind of subtext going on. Yeah. I just thought, well, maybe he just likes story about poor people, stories about poor people dealing with rich people. Well, maybe. I I just didn't, I I don't know. I don't know. So we're going to talk about Parasite now. We're just doing a spoiler alert. This conversation will go for about five to eight minutes. If you're going to watch Parasite, great movie by a Korean director who we've forgotten the name of, then you can just skip ad. Yeah, you should skip ad. So in this movie, basically the deal is um, there's this really, really poor family they live in this horrible sort of basement suite thing. 
And in the movie, you know, it starts raining real hard in the city they live in, which is presumably Seoul, I think. But I think so. Yeah. But they're a resourceful family. Yeah, they're smart. There's no question they're, they're smart. They're not depressed by any means. So, but just to yeah. go on. No, they're really low class. They swear. They, but they're just by hook or by crook. Their whole lives are by hook or by crook. Somebody was a former uh, hammer thrower in a, in an Olympic team, a Korean, one of the, the wife, the mother used to throw the hammer and it, you know, now they're living in this squalid basement. There's a, there's a rainstorm and the whole thing floods and the sewers back up and sewage is spraying out of their toilet and it's all very awful. Right. But they're smart and they're, they're in their way, very hardworking. They're constantly kind of cadge a few bucks here and there. And they manage to, um, the, the guy, how does this go? He manages to get himself into the house of these very rich people. He presents himself as a tutor of some sort. Oh, he's got a buddy. He's got a yes. buddy that is going to go back to school. And the buddy said, yeah, I was tutoring for these really rich people. Sweet gig. You should take it over because I got to go back to school. The guy says, I don't know. I, I'm good in English. But uh, says, yeah, no, just tell him. Just tell him you know stuff. So he goes to these people, he gets himself dressed up, goes to these rich people, and the wife of the rich family is presented as a bit of an airhead. She just accepts at face value without really doing much. You know, they forge up some documents because mm. they can do that kind of stuff. And somebody's really good with Photoshop. And then they introduce, this is the guide tutoring, then he introduces the sister. The sister gets in as something else, and then the mother gets in to replace the existing had made in this pretty soon their oh, whole family's living there in the same house the same yeah. big rich house yeah so it's a little improbable that way you know it's and they don't know the rich family doesn't know these four people know each other yeah mm. they're all oh well other be. than oh uh, you know i have a friend yeah so they know that connection but yeah the connection they don't know that they're all in the same family yeah, yeah. so this state of affairs you know goes on for a while and then uh how it turns out they get rid of the former housekeeper, right? They, they invent a scandal and they frame her up in scandal. She gets fired. And so that their mom, the former hammer thrower, can take over. And uh, then one day, the former woman that they got fired, that they framed and set up, she comes and bangs on the door. Please, can I get in? It's really, I got to come in, come in, come in. And she goes into the house and down into the basement and she moves this shelf. And behind the shelf, there's a hidden door. And down in the, underneath there, there's a safe room that n the current owners know nothing about. And down in the safe room is the former head housekeeper's husband who has been left down there by himself since she got fired. She hasn't been able to get back in the house. She has to wait till the family's gone away to get back in the house. So they, now they've got this problem, right? They've secret and a bunch of conflict ensues and there's some deaths occur, right? Because of course the former maid tries to blackmail him, I think, doesn't she? I think she says something about, well, now what are you going to do? I'm going to get this job back. So it gets pretty awful. And in this guy's movies, there usually is something pretty bleak and black that does happen. And, you know, it's kind of no fool. And, ooh, that's, didn't see that. It was all light and fun until somebody bashed their head open or something like that. You know? So then, uh, at any rate... The whole show has this ending that leaves 
it leaves you feeling like, well, these poor people, for them, really, life isn't actually going to get much better. They're going to be hard scrabble, catch as catch can people for the rest of their lives, no matter what they think. And the rich people take some damage, but they're just going to go on being rich people. And it's, you know, the house, it doesn't, nothing's going to change. And it seems like the message might've been that that's just the eternal state of affairs. Yeah. I don't think so though. I mean, well, there is a, a hopeful sequence at the end and you chose to interpret that. No, he's wrong. There is no hope. Whereas I think you could just equally say, yeah, that, that may be how it plays out. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. So I didn't take any of that. I just thought it was a story. I didn't take it as he's given me a message about how awful the rich people are and how hardworking and clever and yet never, ever going to get ahead. The poor people are, I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't think I was being taught any kind of moral lesson. I thought I was just being told a story. Hmm. And I don't know. I always do that, I think. Well, I mean, when you read Animal Farm, you probably figured out that they were talking about communism. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we were told, of course, but if, still. If somebody uses a really blunt object a when hammer. they're hitting me, <laughs> then I can often get the point. But if it's somebody's trying to send me a message with fine scalpel work, it usually just sails right on by just doesn't get there. Okay, well, Sue and I had a chance to go uh, watch the giant chandelier. Mm, oh, that's right. I saw that in any list, didn't I? Yes, yes. Uh, have you been down to see it yet? No. Chandelier? PJ? Haven't been down to see the chandelier? No. All right. No, I have Well, I think our listeners mostly know about it, but maybe not. There's... A thing in Vancouver where if you build a new development, you have to allocate a certain percent of the cost, a small percent really, uh, to build some public art. And in this particular case, we have this hipster developer who develops for rich people. And he says that he also does some market housing Oh, type they do stuff. affordable housing. Affordable housing. But it turns out what affordable housing is still not affordable to 70% of the people. Yeah. So, you know, he's, and so he, he chose an artist to, they invested three and a half million or four million. I can't remember the lots of millions of dollars. And this artist did, took a French chandelier, I think from the 1800s, maybe 1700s, and then uh, had it made, I believe it was in Oregon, this foundry or the makers had it like blown up to a much larger size, but it's a very realistic looking chandelier and they've hung it close to where this new development's going to be right under the Granville street bridge on the North side or on the side, you know, downtown, the downtown side. side, this chandelier fires up three times every day at a certain preordained time the case we went and watched it at 9 p.m. because it's dark, so you can see the lights in the chandelier. It drops down lower, still above the right height, because it's right in an intersection, actually. Cars drive right beneath it. Oh. Drops down, and it starts to spin. And the faster it spins, the further the little chandelier crystal pieces. Oh, it spins that fast. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Or quite out. And the, the lights uh, are spinning around. And then it kind of, after a minute, maybe 
uh, it slows down and then raises back up and it's done. And we went there. It's been there now for, I don't know, a couple months. Mm -hmm. Apparently the first night it went, there were thousands of people at that intersection. Like it just (laughs) way backed up. The cars couldn't get through. And, uh, when we went, there were still a good 50 people there by the time it started. It's kind of interesting. So I have my theory on what this particular piece of art is about is that the artist, you know, I think maybe the concept has to be approved, but there's a social thing. Like when you, when you commission art, you try not to have too heavy of a hand because the artist is the artist. They don't take well to being told what they're going to do. They're an artist. I think what this artist did was a little F you to the developer and mm-hmm. to the city saying, I want to really highlight what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And this is a chandelier. It's for rich people. Mm-hmm. And this guy develops for rich people. I think they're, you know, of course I have no proof of this. I've never seen the artist comment on it and he wouldn't. So that's, that's kind of my take on it. So from that perspective, I choose to like this particular piece of art. Mr. Lilbum. Who, who, yeah. What? And you have a history of, <laughs> of not liking anything by Ken Lum, <laughs> which is like public art stuff. Yes. Uh, mind you, he did the East Van Cross, and I think yes. even you have to admit that that's kind of iconic. Yes, and uh, you know where he got the East Van Cross from? I do not. It's a graffiti image that's oh, existed right. for a long, okay, long well, that, time before Ken Lum appropriated it. <laughs> And made it into a sculpture in neon, and now he's holding forth. I mean, at least to his credit, one of the first things he says is, yeah, it was graffiti. Good for him, though. Yeah, 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 he does do that, doesn't he? Yeah. He, he, like he did a Vancouver Special. He built an exact copy, scale copy of a Vancouver Special, only it's smaller. Like, it's a third of the height and a third of the width, third of the length. And it actually wasn't to scale anyways. It wasn't, eh? No, you looked at that thing for a minute, and you can see... If you blew that house up to real size, those fence would be about 12 feet high. Like he just gave up at some point on scaling oh, everything correctly. Part, yeah. Like no. it's just okay. not that, what a, and he was 25 grand for that thing too. He also That's did a painting of Sue's brother, Steve. <laughs> it was just a picture. It was a, a Photoshop It's a photograph. <laughs> it's a Photoshop And job. there's Steve and Steve smiling. And above him is the word Steve. I think there's an exclamation point, or it certainly feels like there is, because it's big, bold, blocky it, letters. It's above like it. comic book letters. It's just fantastic. It's just Steve like, can't stand it. I, I'm with Steve. I just think. <clears throat> uh, sorry, bring me back here. Well, why did Ken Lum do this for Steve? Steve and Ken knew each other. Oh, uh, they were in high school. Back in high school, I guess. Oh, so Ken was already doing this kind of stuff back then. Oh, okay. But I think cool. Ken just does. He gets grants. Okay, let's get back to the chandelier skin. You're, you've been avoiding it a little bit. Uh, yeah, but I think the Ken Lum thing is good groundwork for my reception on the chandelier. So Ken Lum's work is all done by Grant. Grants come from rich people who leave money in their wills sometimes or from government organizations that feel that culture is important. And that grant money is managed and it's... Uh, given out to people based on the opinions of some committee or group of people that are charged with managing it, right? I don't know what kind of training they have or anything like that. And just as Rich said, there's a long tradition of not interfering or dictating to artists to the extent where you sort of think, 
you're supposed to say artists, not just artists, artists. You're supposed to <laughs> treat them as though they're somehow specially talented and different beings with better, deeper perceptions than other people. And you get stuff like a high school yearbook picture with the guy's name and comic book character shopped onto the top of it. Steve. And you think, how much was he paid for doing that? Or the scale model, 25 grand for a scale model of a, how long did he work on that? And it's not even to scale. And it's just a like, it was, it was intended to be a representation of the increase in cost for a Vancouver special. So the scale was intended to be the cost of that house in 1984 was this dollars and the cost of it for that, for that number of dollars, this is the size of house you could now get. That was the concept. Where is this? Oh, it's probably long gone. Firewood. It was when we saw it, it was in the back of a trailer, I believe in some street near Abbott street, I think. It's just a thing. But again, it's, it's public art, right? Somebody pays for it. Some grant money funds that guy to do that work. Same with the East Van Cross. I don't know. And the same with finally the chandelier. So that chandelier, that company is well known for catering to very rich. They build uh, developments that are really expensive. And yes, they, they do claim, as Rich said, to provide a certain number of uh, units of social housing, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for you got to be making 65 to 70 grand to be able to afford the payments on one of their social housing mm-hmm. units which not too many people seeking social housing are actually making. They never use the term social, though. It's they affordable. use the term affordable. Beg yeah. your pardon, yeah. Yep. So the Chandelier, that developer, I think, did three or four developments in the False Creek area, and they pooled all that money into one mighty project, which that Chandelier is. You know, so, and again, as Rich said, they're required to put this money aside. And my question then becomes, who is making the decisions about all of a sudden they've got a pool of about five mil that they can spend on some art project because they pooled the commitments for four different developments. And how did we pick? So it's not the developer who picks the artist. I don't know, but somebody got to be somebody in city council. Somebody, somebody approves it. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody approves it. And I would love to know how that works because for four, I believe it was 3.9 or 4.8. 4.8. I've heard. Yeah. What could we have done? for the public good that might have been a little bit better than a chandelier that comes down and spins. Like a nicer piece of art? A more acceptable piece of art? I don't know. I know that I don't know, though. That's the thing. And that chandelier, I think I agree with Rich's take that the guy's kind of thumbing his nose or biting the hand that feeds him because the guy was probably made a tidy living for whatever period of time it took for him to have that thing fabricated, designed, fabricated, and put up, the mm-hmm. artist responsible got some money for it, and yet he is jeering at the people paying him, saying, this thing represents runaway wealth, it represents a class structure that ignores the very people that are walking underneath this thing, and it, you know, it holds in contempt Yes, those things. Three times a day... The chandelier starts to lower towards you. It's almost within reach, poor yeah. people. Yeah, it's bread and circuses almost, you know, like it just, and I just kind of think that artist, I'm not too sure what I think about an artist that takes the money and then registers a protest with it. If you were that protesting, don't take the job. 
that's interesting. Well, I, I still, I think that uh, what a great way to to express yourself like that. You have the opportunity to do that, and I believe that most people would look at that and not not even get that. Well, I looked at it and I just thought this is outrageous, just outrageous. Just because it's a very expensive thing, in my opinion, five million is a lot of money. And it is a symbol of an upper class life. A chandelier is a really, really huge symbol of a high end life. And underneath the Granville Street Bridge is not typically, underneath a bridge is usually a phrase that we associate with hard living. Mm -hmm. And we're hanging a chandelier, the flashiest chandelier anybody's ever seen. Uh huh. Yeah, but under so, a so doesn't that make it uh, even better art then? Because it's, there's a social statement involved. I think if you're looking for controversy, it's great. Yeah, you because know, it's generated a lot of controversy. It's pretty polarizing. And one would think that the the cost involved. I bet you fifty percent of the cost was safety. Yeah. Like making sure an engineer reviews it. Are you using the correct? strength of cable and all yeah. that stuff because it's just hanging right over where yeah. people can walk and cars can drive. Mm. But I, I'm just curious how long it'll last there. Yeah, me too. Like, and will it somehow become iconic? Will people, will tourists even go, will it end up in the folders guide or whatever it is these Jeez. days? Like the lonely, the lonely planet. Yeah. And you're going to, okay, well, yeah, we just finished the steam clock. We're going to head over to the chandelier and then we're going to have lunch. <laughs> I don't know. I guess the bottom line for me is I would like to know more about how decisions like that get made, who makes them. Because I do think art is good, and yet I struggle with accessibility sometimes. You know, like I, I just think that to I, me. I think a term needs to be coined for there's a particular kind of art, and a lot of art is like this. There's one bright idea, or not even a bright idea, just a quick idea. I don't know. Chandelier's a symbol of rich people. After that quick idea, everything else is technical. Yeah. It's 100%. Oh, we need the right kind of guys who can engineer and design. It's all, it's just a perfect copy of an existing chandelier. So you don't even need skills in terms of what should a good chandelier look like. Yeah. You just got one. And then from then on, it's the copper smiths or whatever, whoever's making the stuff, the technical guys that put in the LED lights. And, you know, I mean, like there's a whole bunch of art that's like that, isn't there? Yeah. To there's me, one to me, concept. It could have been a napkin during a lunch. Yeah. And that's the only artistic part of it. Yeah. Everything else is just the technique of making it. Yeah. And it's, I'm knocking Ken Lum earlier, freely, poor old Ken. But he's far from the only guy. I mean, you know, bolt a urinal to the wall. Somebody bolted a urinal to a wall in an exhibition at at a high-end art gallery in New York in about 1960. And, oh, man, what a shock. A urinal can be art. It it is art. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, the 40th or 50th guy that bolted a urinal to the wall was not doing art. He's just copying. But it's the same flavor of thing. The guy thought to himself... There's beauty in every object, even the lowliest, most repulsive object, like a urinal, and that was his has its beauty. That's his one flash in the pan Starbucks concept. idea that yeah. popped into his head. And you sort of think, there's a whole school of that, and I, I don't want to just say abstract, but there's a lot of that, where it's just a concept, it's conceptual art, maybe that's the term, I don't know. But yeah, you sort of think, 
the little flash in the pan idea is way too often very mundane. You know, a stack of cars on top of a tree. Okay, now let's get busy and spend the rest of the year figuring out how to get them up there. But then if you look at someone designing a chandelier, let's say That's in different. let's say in the 1800s, they're going to think about a whole bunch of stuff. I think it will yeah. add a certain emotion if I put this much more curl into it. Yeah. They got to work hard for their art. It's yeah. not just the technical, it's the beauty and design. But it gives you a little boost to your day. Doesn't give me a boost. When to my I'm day on the sky train and I glance up and I see that East Van sign, it gives me a little nice, it's <laughs> a nice good. little thing. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad for you. And we did enjoy the chandelier. That's good. Yeah. See, you have failed to read the book, How to Become a Curmudgeon. That, I don't know. You haven't read the I, book. I have my moments. <laughs> hey, I'll show you guys a picture though that I took of one of those angle house. I got the new iPhone 11 with the amazing night view shot. So you could pass this around. I'll put it on the site. So KJ, you're saying that, is that one of the ones that you think has a green roof? And when you say green roof, is it like plants? Uh, as I was, uh, going every day to work on Granville Island, th there would be 12 guys up top of one of those things when they're working, making the garden. And I don't know what it's, I, it, I think it's going to be kind of grass and bushes or something. I don't know that it's going to be like a vegetable garden or a hangout just, garden. It's just going to be greenery, green, eat the carbon kind of place. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. But it, you could tell that it was not, it was not a simple thing up there. The design of the roof ha, of course has to accommodate the whole top of that, uh, of both of those guys is green. I'm pretty sure. Nice. Nice. It was this park space because there wasn't any park. There wasn't any place to build any park down there. All right. Well, that's my uh, chandelier report. Thank you for that. That was know. good. I didn't expect you. I, I actually thought there'd be more because the stuff I saw was that, why don't they spend the 4.8 on the homeless? Yeah. I, I expected more of that argument, but there wasn't that here today. Not was, really so much because... It's not, it's, it's not public money, right? It's No, not exactly. And it, they, they made those rules for a reason. You know, maybe they should change the rules to say every developer has to kick in that same percentage into feeding the homeless. But they didn't. They said they got to kick it into public spaces and public art. So, oh, well. And right. Maybe that's all it is. Yeah, but you got to think that some people don't make the cut. You would think. With their suggestions of, I'd like to build this for the city. You would think. like, mm -hmm. But then, you, then, then right away, once you get to that realization then you start thinking well okay so who is so somebody proposed a monkey house for that location and instead we got a chandelier who made I think that the, decision i think the next one should be a sculpture of people eating cake <laughs> exactly <laughs> poor people eating cake actually. but no the, the, just the way you guys are setting it up i i gotta believe that the developer if he's putting this money in he gets to pick an artist I don't think so. No? Well, yeah, no. I think the developer must have a hand in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the developer's not going to just say, here's your whatever millions, enjoy. I think there's it's a bit of a community participation thing, and in this case, the developer community. Uh, I, I got to think he's got something to say, but... I would have said, at most, the developer would be an equal partner with whatever group, the yeah. within, within whatever group... The committee you're talking the, about. The city was... 
you know, yes. the developer is just going to say, no, I can't have that there because it's re- that monkey house really going to stink, make a lot of noise, really going to put the people who buying my stuff off and won't have. Yeah, it. I'm sure that they there's to and fro and they yeah, discuss. I, I don't think the developer because the developer to say, is attached to it. Yeah, but I don't think they get to say, I want Ken Ken Lum to do this because he's the cousin of my aunt, and uh, you know they don't get to. I think they influence though. Maybe. So they could say, hey, can you use Ken Lum? I've always wanted, and here's here's my idea that uh, we could work with him on. And then the committee would talk about it and say, well, um, can we modify it? So <laughs> He's, I, I he's would, a known plagiarist. We'd like to stay away from Ken. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. And yeah. if somebody else in the committee says something else, I'd like to have that Pat Lilburn do it because he's just a curmudgeon. Then they will argue about the relative merits. Right. But the, I don't think the developer just gets to say, I want this guy to do it. I don't want it to look like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Basically, they turn over their money, but they don't have much control after that. They have a uh, say, like yeah. a discussion. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, the developer would actually have the public art right in the... Uh, in the foyer. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Or they would say, you know, these windows have an extra special coating on them. It's art. Yes. That coding is That's art. Right. That's right. And we can charge more per unit because there's art in, installed in every single unit in our building. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So it's not every single development in Vancouver that does public art, right? Uh, it's probably over a certain size, but I don't know. Because I know when we went on our walking tour, our architectural tour of Yaletown, they were showing us a particular old building that was completely renovated by the developers of a couple towers nearby. Yeah. There was absolutely no need for that development to do this renovation except for the city asked them to. So can you please take this building over here, fix up, keep the exterior, rebuild the interior, and yes, we'll let you build the two towers over there. And that'll be your That'll be your contribution. Yeah, there's probably a bunch of flavors that they can choose from, the city can choose. Again, you wonder, I want to know how the city does it. Who controls that within the city? Because again, I do think you're right. I think the city can ask them to do stuff like that and they'll just do it. Well, yeah, because otherwise they just say, well, we're not going to give you your permit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think the developer really cares that much about, they want to meet the obligation. They may or may not. But I don't think it really, as long as it's not a stinky, noisy monkey house, I'm good. You know, like that's about it for them. Yeah, I don't know. But if you think about the towers at the bottom of Canby there in Southwest Marine, right around the station, all those towers. Okay. And I'm thinking that there's not very much room for green space down there. And I'm just wondering if public art is a trade-off yeah. for mm. green space. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I think too. I think there's there's options. Like down there they put up that, uh, it's a the trunk golden, of a tree that's yeah, yeah, yeah. gold. It's horrible looking thing in my opinion, but. There it is. That's, I don't think it's terribly attractive either, no, but... I haven't seen that one. That's just... Sit down near the station? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right at the... Right at the intersection. Like a golden tree? Very well, large. Well, a stump. A statue? A it's stump, like a, a big, big stump. giant 40-foot high. It's like if you took a tree, a big cedar tree or something, and you climb 30 feet up and just cut it off, you know, there's no branches And, and or anything, colored it gold. And colored it gold, yeah, like gold finger gold. Okay. That's, that's it. That's... It's a statement. Ooh, it's uh, a statement. We called it Stump Town. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's... New York City has this just awesome, in the in the subways, 
there's these little statuettes of people in various guises, like little police policemen, police woman. <laughs> and it's just marvelous. Just amazing. We just loved it. <laughs> and we saw when we were in Minneapolis, we saw these little statuettes that were different and it turned out it was the exact same artist oh. that did those two. So. so that's like, yeah, they have one of those in North Van too at the well, uh, Cenotaph. There's statues of guys sitting on the benches. I quite often mistake them for real peop- people when I'm riding by yeah. or something. You just take a double take, you know. And they had all those orcas yeah, orcas and the polar bears yeah. or whatever they were in all the same thing in different colors and designs. But they were all over the city, right? Yeah, and they, and what it was is it was sort of a, they commissioned a, dumb, a number of different artists to apply whatever colors they wanted. Colors and this, and and this was their frame. They had, yeah, they had a they had a work with this orca yeah. or polar bear, and then they. What about the laughing guys down on an English Bay? Yeah, those are fantastic. What's that? Yeah. Oh, those. Yeah. See, yeah. So maybe that's the deal. I do think those things are pretty great. I like them. And what is that? Have we have we talked about ten different things so far? Because that's one in ten for me. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. And, and maybe but it's, it's just much more acceptable, isn't it? Because it's. Uh, I don't know why, but it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. If the point of the chandelier was to get people talking about it, then then it's probably good art. Yeah. I think it would be awesome if it mm-hmm. just exploded one day, you know, like <laughs> was going and some tourist right. gets a viral video and it starts to lose balance. Yes. Like, and just. It explodes, but in a safe way. Exactly. <laughs> and then there's a loudspeaker planted up there and there's just a guy laughing. Yeah. Banksy. Banksy's laughing. Yeah, that was uh, another one when, was when Banksy's uh, painting got auctioned off and then it immediately self-shredded. Yeah. That was just awesome. Yeah. I, Again, I, I, I don't I think know the auctioneers were totally in on that. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it was an inside job. I don't know. I think, yeah. You would think just because concealing a shredder in a frame seems like it would raise a lot of questions about why the hell does that frame look like that? That's the ugliest frame I think I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, it was seen. fairly thick. Yeah. And the other thing is that the value of the art went immediately sky high, like way higher than when the after guy- After the shredding. Yes, after the shredding. It was worth like three times what the person paid for it. Uh-huh. So it's all very interesting. Yeah, and Banksy's doing it as his protest against the false valuing of art at the same time as again, he's reaping a huge benefit from maybe. that. You yeah, know? maybe. Yeah, maybe he's giving it to charity skin. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. What else wait, we got on our wait, list? There? There's a monkey flying out my butt. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> what else we got on our uh, list there, skin? Shape of water. Have you seen the shape of water? Um, I have not seen the shape I of water. I did start to watch that. Yeah, see? What do you know? Okay, there. you started. I have to edit that out too. Never finished it. Okay. How about... Wait, wait. Yes, Wait, wait. Yes. Tell me what you thought. Oh, I liked it. it stuck with me for a little while. Huh. I got about, I would say, halfway through. Um, I have trouble with Guillermo. Oh. I have trouble getting past oh. his highly stylized approach to everything. Anybody with three syllables in their first name, I think you're... What, what else is he famous for? Uh, Pan's Labyrinth... Something more recent. Uh, They're often kind of fantastic in the sense there's fantasy involved. Yeah, yeah. Haley always says this to me too. She says, yeah, well, you know what? 
Lots of people love Quentin Tarantino and his movies all have the same sort of flavor to them. Mm-hmm. And I can't stand it. And it's the same with Guillermo. His, fl- his movies mm-hmm. all have a certain fantastic flavor, the way they're lit, the way they're set, the kind mm-hmm. of stories, the use of, of CG and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I... I have trouble with it. I, I have trouble getting past it to just appreciate the story itself. Oh, he's working on Pinocchio right now. Uh, mm. I can wait, probably. I just really liked her. I, I just thought she was a rather unique actress and in a rather unique role. And yeah, I, absolutely. I enjoyed it. Role of a lifetime for her. Yeah. Absolutely. That, yeah. And I really got to say, liked Octavia Spencer. Pretty, yes, yes, pretty bread yes, and butter role for yes, her, but I yes. just like the work she does. She's just good at that. Yeah. But I didn't finish it yet. I will finish it just to see how it all turns out. There's there's lots of good character actors in it. Yeah, and the bad guy is really yeah, good too. There's and that is also I think pretty common in his work. People do good good jobs in his work, probably because they got good parts that are well yeah, written. Yeah. But I just find, like I say, the way the whole thing feels kind of puts me off for some reason. How about Six Underground? Nope, haven't got to it. Ryan Reynolds. I've not seen it. Oh, wait. I watched about 15 minutes of that. Couldn't deal. Really? Sorry, Ryan. Oh, my goodness. He's a fun actor. Oh, I just... He's fun. His shtick was just making me insane. It's always the same. Always the same. His uh, Deadpool guy. Yeah. That's Deadpool with no costume. Yeah, yeah. And I just think, come on, man, get a job. Oh, oh, well, I, I, I don't... I couldn't actually watch Deadpool. I, I watched come? a bit of it and it, it just... Uh, How come? I don't know. It was a little bit more gruesome than I thought. Uh, I mean, he's a funny guy and I, I actually like him, but I just found uh, Six Under was going along, going along. Frantic, crazy action. Crazy is right. But all the way through, he's doing the wisecracks and the quick quips and all that stuff. And, and he just didn't... Uh, okay. No, don't want it. However, they do at the beginning when he they get number number seven in. He says, "There's thirteen nasty guys in the world," and they take the, number one. They take his picture off, and the, this is the guy they go after. So I'm thinking, are they making thirteen movies <laughs> about six underground? And then I hope. I, I Another swear, franchise. like, why else wouldn't they? They didn't even touch on the other 12. So yeah. those bad guys are still out there. And we hope that Ryan Reynolds, the billionaire, takes care of them. So I saw a list of movies, and I'm sorry to say I can't remember any of them, but I was encouraged by the list of movies that came out this year. And I don't know whose top 10 it was, but there was a bunch on there that I thought, oh, that would be interesting. And they weren't things like Nine Under or whatever that is. You know, they were good movies, like, Movies where you think, geez, that sounds interesting. It sounds like I would like to watch this as opposed to the next Spider-Man installment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like franchise movies are a big, big deal. Star Wars, all of them. But this was just a list of what looked like pretty good movies. And they're all kind of standalone-y. They're not. Some of them you've heard of and some of them you haven't. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought it up since I don't have the list in front of me, but I was encouraged because sometimes you just get the feeling like you say. There's no hope. They take the top one off and there's 12 more and you just think, oh, yeah. here we go. <laughs> you know, There's going to be a cliffhanger at the end of this and uh, then we'll have to move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. Totally enjoyed Unbelievable. It's a series on Netflix. 
eight episodes based on a real story. And I'll just say that <laughs> after watching it, I read about the real story and it's very, very, uh, has great fidelity to the story. So they don't kind of mix it up a little bit. Just, uh, starts with a rape that happens in Linwood, Washington. Uh, and then that's the beginning of the story. And the story is about the investigators of similar rapes that happened in Colorado and how hard they work to pull it all together. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. I think I read the blurb. I went by that the other day and I read the blurb about it. Yeah, really. I mean, it sounds like really uh, hard material, but it's just so well done. And the characters are great. Like the, in particular, the two women detectives that have to work together. Awesome characters. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yes, exactly. In the sense that the uh, first accuser, it's unbelievable how she lays it out. It's probably probably just making it up, right? That's that's kind of like the idea. <laughs> I saw one on there. It was a real documentary about <clears throat> some guy. Can't remember if they had him in Florida. He's just some really low low level criminal, and he murdered his mom. Did time for murdering his mom, and then he was brought in and accused of murdering some girl that he was friends with. And during his trial, he just, and they had the video of the trial, he just pipes up and said, well, if we talk about that, then we're going to have to talk about the other ones too. (laughs) And this guy just starts confessing to just whatever, whatever comes his way, he just confesses. And he develops a relationship with the two Texas Rangers. So I guess it was in Texas, the two Texas Ranger guys that are, Handling, you know, the Texas Rangers, the TV series, those guys, they're upstanding, fine law enforcement officers. Well, these guys basically, by by about halfway through this series on this guy, they're just taking calls day after day after day. And it's, uh, oh, what, what, you got one on uh, June 24th in the afternoon? No, we don't have him committed to anything there. So, yeah, he can take that one too. In other words... He will confess to that one. If you've got a murder that occurred, oh, so in none June of them were. He was just doing a tiny yeah, thing. He just was. He confessed, and it was national news, and he was the oh. greatest mass murderer America had ever seen. He was just some guy. He was just getting food and cigarettes and a tight relationship with his captors, and so he was just enjoying. And towards the end of his life, he was getting sicker and dying, and he just said, "No, I didn't do any of it. You know, it's just I, I, I just made all of that up." And you kind of think, as they lay it out, it's very clear to anybody that it's nonsense. This guy, you know, you have people all the way through, we're talking about, yeah, about a month in, you know, it became evident. The Rangers are talking about how this guy crisscrossed the country, but he would have had to travel 2,300 miles in four days and commit a murder at each place in order to get this all done. You know, like it's logistically impossible. I thought false confessions were such a big problem that they kind of had strategies to stop it from happening. You would think. Like you ask for details that are only known to the. Well, they were feeding him. They were showing them crime scene pictures so that they could close these cases. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for their two rangers, I think it was so that they could become famous law enforcement guys. Did they ever get sent to prison for doing uh, that? I don't think so, no. Was he convicted of the second one, the girlfriend that he knew or the girl that he knew? I cannot remember. He was convicted of his mother. 
I think he was convicted of the girlfriend, but then that's when he, I think they, she might've turned up alive someplace else, you know, like it was just, was he in for life for his killing his mother? Yeah. Something like that. Oh, so he was in there anyway. Yeah. He was not going anywhere and he was on death row or something. I, I'm sorry. I'm really garbling this up, but the thing that really stuck with me was the horribly cynical use of this guy by law enforcement all across the United States to just clear cases. And you sort of think, and they mention it a few times too during the series where you kind of think there's a whole bunch of murderers out there just clapping their hands. These guys are just publicly washing their hands of these unsolved cases. I'm good. I'm good. I murdered that guy up there and they've Mm -hmm. stopped looking into it now. I mean, and they, they had to have known the cops had to have known that this guy couldn't have been doing it. But because these two Texas Ranger guys, you know, they'd bring him to a site and he'd say, yeah, the body was right over there. It's because they'd shown him a picture and this guy had a really good memory for uh, location. He showed him a picture of a location and where the truck was parked at the time of the crime and all this. And they had video of him going through the crime scene photographs, right? Mm-hmm. And then they take him out and he says, yeah, when we came, the truck was there. And he, he, he would describe in graphic detail all the stuff that he had done. But he was coached all the whole way. Jeez. And they just kept swearing that they weren't coaching him and they were satisfied that he had information that he couldn't possibly have had. And I mean, it was just really incredible. It was a great series. <laughs> Maybe it was called Improbable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Unbelievable. It's dark in the shed now, and we've had a lovely afternoon of just wandering around the mental landscape. Some of our opinions are probably not that well found, and some of our facts, at least in my case, a little shaky. But you know, if you want to challenge any of it or do the research and save Rich the trouble, that'd be great. Let us know, get a hold of us, website, email, anywhere. And if you're not doing any of that and just enjoying it so much, the better. And we'll just keep bringing it and take care in the meantime. Bye. Bye.